Would you take your scriptures, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 2. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, to com but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we know that had it been possible that perfection could have come through the law, Christ would not have needed to come, but he did need to come. 
The former regulation was set aside because it was weak and useless, and we now have a better hope by which we can draw close to God. That hope is written for us in the new covenant. Our prayer this morning is that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand these wonderful words of eternal life. Guide everyone here to Jesus Christ and this glorious gift of life he has given through his word. We ask this in his name. Amen. Peter has been laying out the idea of living a holy life. He's called all believers to come into this holy life because God is holy. He has pointed out some of the struggles through which this path to holiness leads. He's shown in the very beginning words of this letter that this salvation into which you were called is a lifelong process. It's not something in which God called you and then abandoned you to your own wiles. He has given you the Holy Spirit and the promise that he will not abandon you. He has explained that this one who was sent from heaven is the one upon whom you can rest, for he is the living stone, the cornerstone of all who believe. This is our Lord and Savior the King of kings and the Lord of lords, his name is Jesus Christ. Apart from him, there is no hope. He is the only Savior. He is the rock upon which his church is built. Therefore, as believers, you are to work with great diligence to free your lives from all sin. He even explains how you can do that by turning away from the evil and turning to the pure spiritual milk of his word. It is pure spiritual milk that will cause you to grow and become mature in your salvation. We know this is not something you are called to do, such as earn your salvation. It is the work of the Holy Spirit as you go through this process. He begins with the giving of the new heart. He comes to an area I think the church today really needs to hear. He sees the need to remind believers of their duties in this world. Our nation was founded on some very solid principles involving liberty and freedom. But over the years, those ideas have been perverted until they come to nowhere close to the ideas our forefathers envisioned. We have allowed the idea of freedom to create a realm of individual rights that somehow override the good of the whole of society. Liberty has become a right to deny all what offends the few. These are not concepts found in God's word. His word does not deal with fairness. My father used to say fair is something that comes to town in October. It deals with justice and through Christ, mercy for all men. The last thing anyone who knows God will seek from him is fairness. For God to be fair would be your destruction. Peter looks at the duties required of all who believe. Because of our perverted sense of fairness, we have a hard time adjusting our lives to the pattern given us in the scriptures. So many today in the evangelical world have decided God's ways are not efficient. They are not sufficient 
to deal with the problems of our society. What they have done is to take up the ways of the world and try to baptize them and make them acceptable to the church so they can use them to accomplish God's purposes. Nothing better illustrates this than the movement to stop abortions. Taking up the methodology of the 60s civil rights movement, trying to influence society by actions never used or called for in scripture. Demonstrations, they don't work. I use this particular example because so many in that movement, after seeing it fail, have taken up a violent approach, and this makes Peter's words even more powerful. Let's examine Peter's words and see what we can learn from them about living a holy life. First, we should look at the duties inherent in a holy life to earthly authorities. Second, in the responsibilities to God's will. And last, in our duties as witnesses. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was given a responsibility. And that was to submit to the authority over him, God. This is the foundational duty all creatures have before God, submit. To recognize him as the one and only authority over all of creation. Adam did not follow the directive and rebelled against God and his authority. There has been a problem in the heart of man ever since. He does not want to submit to anyone. He wants to be in control of his own destiny. This is the very essence of what we call total depravity. Peter understood this this problem. And he sets about to, to show you as a believer what you must do to overcome such wickedness. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. As believers, you're called to be good citizens whatever nation you're placed. Why would Peter write such a thing when he lived under the rule of Roman tyranny? Paul makes the same demand. Titus 3, 1 through 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Paul explains why this is a must in Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God has established human government for a purpose. To bring peace to society in order to allow for the spread of the gospel. All authority is derived from God. Those who have it do not have to understand the source of all authority. But you as a believer do. Therefore, you must be obedient to all authority. This is going to be the hardest thing you have to do as a believer. You turn over the running of your life to others. Not just to anyone you meet, but to those whom God has set apart to be over you. It doesn't matter if they are believers or not. It doesn't matter if you like them or not. You're commanded, commanded to follow their lead and to accept their direction. 
you all know this is very, very hard. Most of you have been around newborn babies. They don't like to submit to your schedule. They don't like to conform their wants in any way. You have to teach them to follow a schedule. This is a reflection of the fallen nature, which has as its primary goal its own way. One of the things you need to understand in this is that this idea of submission does not mean you get up your, give up your dignity in any way. The concept here is that you willingly recognize authority, and in recognizing it, you willingly obey it. That was all God asked of Adam in the garden. The whole idea is summed up in the words, for the Lord's sake. In this phrase, he implies beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is sovereign in every area of life and is full in full control of all things. I meet people who want to, to limit God's authority. They want to make man the center of all authority. Arminians say salvation is your choice. They claim God only made salvation possible, but these verses tell us that's not true. God is the one in control. If that is true, and we surely believe it to be, then your salvation is his work, not your own. You can learn of this salvation only by obedience to God's word, only by hearing the gospel message and believing or submitting that it's true. Submission is a very important doctrine of Christianity. Here, Peter says, you must submit to every ordinance of man. Literally in the Greek, this would be to every human creation. If man devises a nation and establishes a government, you owe that government respect. The reason for this command is because any effort to establish an orderly society is in harmony with God's creative plan. Kings and emperors, presidents and prime ministers, yes, even dictators and despots, ruled by the grace of God. Proverbs 8.15 By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. Revelation 1.5 Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. All rulers reign by the grace and appointment of God. Therefore, all believers are called to submit to them and to serve them as they would God himself. Not only was the call made to honor kings, but also those whom the king appointed to carry out his rules. This clearly shows that we are to submit to every authority. Every authority. Authority in the, in the plan of God is extremely important. We're but creatures made to serve the one who made us. The whole idea of authority is to teach us who we are and what our purpose is. It is to bring us into a humble attitude toward all things, especially our relationship with God. God is the creator. All that has been made was made by his hand. It is a great sin to turn our backs on God. Paul says the wages of sin is death and the heart of all sin is rebellion against God. Therefore, this idea of submission is so important that you must show your understanding of it by being submissive to every authority placed in your life by God. Citizens must submit to government, slaves to masters, wives to husbands, children to parents. 
There can be no exceptions. For each one of these reflects the will of God. Peter ties the idea of giving proper respect to all earthly authorities to submitting to the will of God. 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Peter tells us, he tells us often in his writings, that we should live by the will of God. The Lord himself taught this same thing when he taught the disciples how to pray. Your will be done. What is this will? That you continue to do good. When you do this, it allows you to bring to silence all who would accuse you of evil. The word in the Greek for silence is a term used in the muzzling of an animal. 1 Timothy 5.18 For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. The word muzzle here in 1 Timothy is the same word translated silence in Peter. It's the Greek word phimoo. In Matthew 22, this word is used twice. Once in the parable of the wedding banquet, at the end in Matthew 22:12, where the man is entered without wedding clothes, and when asked how he got in, it says he was speechless. That's the word, phimoo. Second, in Matthew 22:34, where it is said Christ answer to the Sadduceans for them, silence them. It means to make them completely unable to give an answer, in this case, to your good works. Who are the enemies of believers? According to Peter, they're ignorant and foolish men. People who don't hear the truth of the word and thus cannot know it. When they are given the truth, they refuse to accept it as such. Paul explains this Arab ignorance in Romans 10.3 when he speaks concerning the Jews. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The ignorant are those who refuse to hear the truth and bring their lives into line with it. They're those who will not believe and thus are enemies of all who do. This shows that ignorance, unbelief, and disobedience all stand in opposition to the incontestable evidence of God's word and the Holy Spirit's work. This is why Peter calls these people foolish. They fail to believe simply because they don't want to believe. Peter says there is only one way to overcome such ignorance, and that is live as free men. Now please understand those who hate Christ for Christ hate you for Christ's sake and present you as ignorant and foolish men. I think I said that wrong. Please understand this who those who hate for Christ's sake and persecute you are ignorant and foolish men. They are full of pride and they're people who need to be pitied not hated. Peter says this is only one way to overcome such ignorance, and that is live as free men. 
The heart of his teaching is the word free. He's speaking to people who have known persecution and bondage. He knows these people have longed for freedom from tyranny. He tells them a very simpli- in a very simplistic way, be free. What is freedom? Jesus in John 8, verses 31 through 32 says, Then Jesus said to these Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. John 8, 36 adds, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Paul concludes in Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is the freedom Peter wants you to go out and live in. He wants you to understand that you are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone is given in Christ. You don't have to be subject to the evils of this world. You don't have to give in to the temptations of this life. You've been freed. Freed to live your life as God created you to live it. Worshiping and serving him. Martin Luther described freedom this way. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all subject to none. Now that sounds pretty good to us, doesn't it? But he adds this. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all subject to all. Yes. Yes, as a believer, you are free from all enslavement from this evil world. You are now free to serve God and to love your fellow man. Therefore, the more you work to serve your God and fellow man, the more freedom you experience. James 1.25 explains this. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, the work this come one will be blessed in what he does. The believer will always conduct himself as the elect of God. He is free and has no fear as long as as he's serving God in obedience. Peter then adds a warning, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Peter knows the hearts of men. He knows that there is not a one of us that cannot be tempted by power, and this freedom is truly power. As soon as you begin to use this freedom to advance your own cause, you have stopped following the law of love and have ceased to serve the living God. In your salvation, you are turned from self to God. From looking inward to looking outward, the danger is ever with us that we will again begin looking only to the inside. When we do this, we lose the freedom. When we start serving self instead of God and others, we once again find ourselves in bondage. Do we not see that today in our world, in our society? What is the antidote to this danger? But live as bondservants of God. The word servant here actually means slave. You have really gone from being a slave to sin to being a slave of God. Is this bad? No. You are now being what you were created to be, a servant, a slave to the creator of the universe. Your freedom is found in doing what you were created to do. You are made to serve and worship your creator. You will never find happiness and contentment until you're doing these things. 
Thus Peter says, this all begins with submission to the authorities God has placed in your life and with total submission to his will. There's one thing you must understand about this submission to civil authorities. No authority, familial, civil, or church, has the right to call you to do something God forbids. When COVID struck, the civil authorities said the church must be shut down. That was a violation of God's law. We're commanded to worship collectively, and that command is even more important when things are really hard, like in times of sickness or war. Man cannot override God's word, and God never gives such authority to anyone. Peter sums up for us the essence of this submission. 1 Peter 2.17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The first thing you as a believer are to do is honor all people. This sounds easy, but just like someone get someone just let someone get into authority over you, you don't like and see how difficult this can be. This is really the heart of what being a witness for Christ is all about. You cannot expect someone to take your witness seriously if you are not willing to be what you preach. The gospel is about respect, respect of God, respect of yourself, and respect of others. Honoring those around you is the way in which you get their attention. If you go to work for someone and you are there when you are supposed to be there and you do what is asked of you to the best of your ability, I can assure you it will be noticed. Respect goes a long way toward making people notice you. That's why we are told not only to respect others, but to also be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. The two go hand in hand. Respect opens eyes to the different lifestyle we live and gives opportunity to witnesses for Jesus Christ. It has always troubled me greatly to see people using the Bible to beat people over the head concerning someone and trying to force feed them the gospel. That's not showing them respect. It's treating them with contempt. The gospel will only be spread through a loving and respectful approach. The second thing he says goes with this mission is love brotherhood. You as a believer in Jesus Christ have received the greatest possible gift of love known to mankind. You have been saved from sin and death by God's gift of his only begotten son. This gift was demonstrated while you were still lost and without hope by Christ's death on Calvary's cross. How do you show that this gift has been given to you? By going out and loving others, especially those called by God as you were. Stop letting your pettiness separate you from others. We need to be better than that. We believe in the philosophy of the one in many. This says man needs a leader, but because of his sin, he doesn't want a leader. He wants to do it all himself, but he can't, so he chooses a leader to follow. He both hates the leader because it shows his weakness, and he loves him because of his need. The leader is to serve the people, to see their interest and their needs. There is always a struggle between the two. Peter is saying, 
Put this struggle aside. Honor, respect, and submit to those who lead you. If you want to see a perfect example of the one in many, you but need to go to look at the Trinity. Three persons, one God. The call here to love the brotherhood is a call to come into this perfect unity. As believers, we are to be in harmony with one another just as Christ is with the Father. That is Christ's prayer for all believers in John 17 where he prays, My prayer is that all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The only way this is possible is when you are showing respect to others and love to your fellow believers. The third thing submission requires of you is to fear God. This is without a doubt the most important part. Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. All men need knowledge, for in the fall they lost every bit of the knowledge they had about God. They died spiritually, and what can a dead man know? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So unregenerate men have no spiritual knowledge at all. It is only through the giving of the new heart that a man is made alive and given the Holy Spirit to guide him into the truth. That truth is that he is lost and without hope apart from Jesus Christ. That he needs a Savior and that Christ is the only Savior available. Jesus prayed in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You must know the fear of God, that God is the only one who can save and that he has provided salvation to his people through Jesus Christ. How can you witness to others without the fear of God? You can't. My friends, the call of the gospel goes out to all men, and those who will hear it and believe it have found the fear of God and thus have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Last, he says, submission requires that you honor the king. That you submit to all legal authorities and show them the respect their petition demands. All governments are set up by God. Every leader is God's minister and thus deserving of your honor. I know this can be hard to take, but according to the scriptures, it is true and thus demands that you follow it. It is required because it is only when we as believers show this kind of respect that our witness stands out against the backdrop of the rebellion of the hearts of the unbelievers. In conclusion, I call you to listen to the words of Peter. Examine your heart in light of all he says. Consider your witness. Are you being light in a dark world? Are you living your life in such a way as to show a lost world that there is a different way to live? Yes, this will be hard and it will cause you many times to have to suffer. But such suffering, when undertaken for Christ's sake, will produce great rewards. God loves those willing to give of themselves on behalf of others. Is this not what submission is all about? Giving of yourself, seeing others as better than yourself? Be concerned enough for someone else to humble yourself before them. How do I do all of this? Only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
Only when you see yourself with a sinner, God sees you. Only when you acknowledge that you cannot earn from God by your own efforts, and you quit trying, and you place your trust in Christ's works and in Him alone. Only when you fully come to the point you have completely submitted to God and been filled with the fear of God, that is when you have arrived at the place where salvation begins. This is where you begin keeping the duties of the holy life. You begin to see yourself in need of a Savior. You're a sinner. You have need, a Savior. And that Jesus Christ is the only Savior out there. You call out to him and place all of your hope and trust in Christ and to him alone. And you become secure in your salvation, able to grow in this holy life he has called you into. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you for all you have done for us through Jesus Christ. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, you did for us by sending your only begotten Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the heart of man. How could we ever thank you for such a glorious gift? The only way is to commit to living our lives as a testimony of your grace and mercy. Give us the strength and courage to follow his example and love you and love our neighbors. We ask this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you take your scripture?